When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You're listening to the Black and Gold Hockey Podcast with Mark Allred, Court Lalonde, and Rob Tomlin. You can subscribe and rate our show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Player.fm, SoundCloud.com, and Stitcher Radio. You can help the show financially by going to the blackandgoldhockeyblog.com website and clicking on either the Amazon.com or Fanatics.com banners to the right before shopping online. Now, time to start the Bruins Hockey Talk from three different countries. Enjoy the show! fans welcome back for episode 84 of the black and gold hockey podcast in partnership with grandstand sports network the best view in sports we've got a really good show uh, lined up today uh, a lot of things to talk about about the uh, the previous week on the Bruins schedule and the upcoming week that is to happen um, and also I'm uh, very excited to have um, the standard times out of New Bedford Massachusetts Bruins beat writer Mick Collagio is going to join us later on, so please stay tuned for that. Uh, gentlemen, how's everybody's week been? Um, okay, kind of. Yeah, I won't, heard. I won't go into what really happened with me uh, majorly. But right. I basically passed out, uh, smacked my head and my back, and I have been lying in bed for a while, so... I mean, the week's been all right. I haven't really done anything, but sitting, waiting for an ambulance for eight hours wasn't fun. Yeah, I'm <laughs> very happy to hear that you're okay, Rob. That that, that really sucks. Yeah, I'm glad to have you here talking yeah. with us. No worries. I'm glad to be here. Mr. Rob, how are you doing? Mr. Who? Mr. Rob. I mean, oh, Court. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Court, how are you doing? Are you feeling better? Uh, but- 
Yeah, flu's gone. Uh, daughter's been teething, so she's been a little bit sick, and uh, my concussion symptoms came back, so that's awesome. Oh, Jesus. I'm sorry, dude. Man, you guys that are sucks. banged up. I feel, yeah, I feel I for you. My thoughts are with you guys. I went to the gym three days in a row, and my mind was like, no, you're not ready. So oh, I'm not no, playing hockey shit. tonight. No shit. Well, it is what it is. Anybody who ever makes fun of any player for not playing right away when they have a concussion, you're yeah. an asshole. Yeah, exactly. That's not. Yeah, don't. You can't mess with a brain like that. It's just. It's weird. Like I just get up and like I like today I woke up and I felt like I was hungover and I went to bed at because I felt so tired. I went to bed at like eight thirty nine o'clock last night and I got up at eight o'clock and I felt like I was hungover. And it's just a headache. It feels like my head's in a vice. It's terrible. It sucks. It is what it is. I'm sorry to hear that. Um, but uh, you got we got to talk about some Bruins. And um, last week, I'm not gonna lie, was it was a good week. Even though that last night's game was a bit um, unorthodox, if you can say. Uh, but beating New Jersey on Sunday five to three was solid. New Jersey's a good team. Um, and then, you know, responding at home with a big 5-2 uh, to two win over the Calgary Flames keeps the week going alive. But I have that three days off in between uh, the Calgary game and the Vancouver game. Uh, you know, you'd think that the team would be rested and ready for the, for the Vancouver Canucks in the first game of their, um, uh, looks like, five-game road trip. Um, was it, I mean, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, jump off the wall or jump out, you know, out of my window over that loss on Saturday night. It was just, it's bound to happen. You know, uh, it's, it's how this team is going to regroup tomorrow afternoon at 4 PM when they meet the Calgary flames and, and, and then the Edmonton Oilers the very next day. So those two games, we'll see what happens. So. Yeah. I, I was a little surprised when I woke up this morning to find out the score. Uh, wasn't expecting that, but at the same time, I, I watched the extended highlights of the game, and it looked like uh, Anders Nielsen just stood on his head. And uh, you know how the Bruins are when they come up against a hot goalie. Yep. It's never good. Yeah, I, I watched the game this morning. Like I said, I went to bed early last night, but it just seemed to me defensive breakdowns. It, it, it is what it is. They outshot. They had some good looks. You know, Tuca was interviewed after the game, and they were saying, you know, you defend, the, the reporters were saying your defense didn't look too well in front of you. And he's like, well, i got to look myself in the mirror. You know, it's a team game, like most people have been saying. Yeah. You know, they're still first in goals against average in the league. You know, they're still up in the top in the league. And like, if you look at last night, think about it. The Chicago Blackhawks spanked the Washington Capitals. Detroit Red Wings went. Like, all the good, all the good teams. There were so many upsets last night. It is what it is. Like, I've seen so many people saying, oh, you know, they're supposed to beat teams like Vancouver. Well, they just beat teams that are New Jersey and Calgary that are good hockey clubs. Yeah, they came in they threw out a stinker in Vancouver, but they can't win every game. Yeah. I know a lot of people are like, oh, you know, don't use the saying you can't win them all. But you know what? You can't win them all. Like, they're 35-13-8. They still have the least amount of regulation losses than any other team in the league. Like, stop being a bunch of diaper-wearing babies. Yeah. Like, yeah. They're so spoiled sometimes. Come on, people. And it's 82 game losing, season. Like that game last night when they lost, it wasn't like, it was like quick. That's They lost because they didn't play for like five, ten minutes. And that's what lost them the game. If, if they'd have done better in the first, 
they could have won that game. But mm-hmm. it was the defensive breakdowns at the beginning of the game that cost them that. And once that's happened, you can't do anything about it. It's so hard to come back from being three goals, four goals down in the first. Yeah, your confidence like, is pretty much shot at that <clears throat> point. Yeah. And you could see Tuca. Like, there was one point where I saw him, it looked like he was going to smash his stick over the net. And he didn't. And that really surprised me. Because we all know what Tuca has been like in the past. Yep. <clears throat> so, uh, it was... He showed a lot of restraint there because I know my stick would have been in the crowd if that was me. And 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 Tampa lost and, and Toronto lost. So to be totally honest, we still have games in hand, and there's a reason we have games in hand. So it is what it is. We can lose, and I'm sorry, we can lose the next game. I, I said to Mark earlier today, we can lose four in a row, and I'm still not worried. It is what it is. Like look how well this team is overperforming between all of our expectations, and then when they lose one game, people start crying whining and saying oh this all that stop just i understand and i'm I'm tired of hearing people saying oh that person's a true fan or that no we're all fans of this team yeah sometimes people have unrealistic expectations that's all yeah just come on man they're human yeah it it just you know if if i if me personally if i was going to have any concern i'd say if they lose the next if they lose every game on this road trip especially to toronto and 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 Buffalo, which both teams have given us, uh, you know, good games in the past. That's <clears> a little bit of concern. The Saturday, so they better not lose because that's going to suck. Yeah, that's right. You are going. That's awesome, man. Good for you. Um, now it's, I don't know. I guess we should just take a quick commercial break and uh, welcome in Mick Collagio. Uh, I think he's going to be a fantastic interview. Uh, first time guest on the show. Uh, what do you think, guys? You think we should do that? Yeah. All right. All right, let's take a quick break, and uh, we'll be right back with Mick Collagio. Passion, talent, development. NCAA hockey offers all that and its players graduate at a 90% rate. Jonathan Taves. Backhand scores! Wow, what a goal! Joe Pavelski. Goal! And Johnny Gaudreau. We're stars on campus before the NHL stage. Whether you are a fan or a player, nothing compares to college hockey. Visit collegehockeyinc.com and follow at College Hockey. Champions of the college hockey world! Uh, and as mentioned, Bruins fans, um, I, I said that Mick Collagio was going to join us, and he is here. He's a Bruins writer for the Standard Times in New Bedford, Massachusetts, and the host of the uh, Rink Rap podcast, which I highly recommend you subscribe to. Uh, and you can follow Mick at Mick Collagio on Twitter. Mick, thank you very much for taking the time today. It is my pleasure, gentlemen. Love hockey talk. Happy to hear it happening anywhere. Um, I'm always disappointed in the uh, two main radio platforms we have in the Boston market. And uh, that it only happens there via specialized programming or extremely uh, hot times for the Bruins and not times for uh, the Patriots. So... Um, uh, right now, they're actually perking up just a little bit because of the trade deadline coming, and uh, it's nice that that's happening. But uh, I'm I'm fully supportive of all the podcast stuff going on and people who want to uh, talk about uh, hockey, which I am now beginning to refer to on Twitter as Fight Club. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. It's, it's absolutely crazy. But uh, before we get into uh, some questions for you, sir, uh, can you please just explain a little bit of your experience and how long you've been writing for the Bruins? 
Um, I began uh, covering the Bruins during the 1991-92 season. So I had a few seasons remaining in Boston Garden. My first Bruins game was actually January 25th, 1968. Uh, the Montreal Canadiens shut out the Bruins 2-0. Bob Bior was in his second year. He had a crew cut, and uh, Rogie Vashon uh, played golf in Montreal and without a mask. So that's how old I am. <laughs> um, so, I've, so yeah, I've been, I've hung from the rafters uh, and and looked past the banners down on the glory days Bruins of the late 60s, early 70s. And um, it was a generational fandom, uh, but I was among those who fervently stuck around uh, and were very passionate about following the, the Bruins and all hockey. I mean, some of the greatest hockey I ever saw in my life was right up the street from my, where I grew up in East Walpole, Mass. We had Four Seasons Arena. And that was the uh, home rink for several Bay State League teams. And I got to see some really great players like Richie Hebner in the mid-60s with Norwood High School. He wound up playing baseball and winning the World Series with the Pittsburgh Pirates in 71. And uh, my cousin was a cheerleader on that uh, for that team. And, and her she married a boyfriend who was on that team. And they're still together today and live down in uh, Longboat Key. Uh, wonderful people. Uh, and and uh, and I got to see Robbie Fatorik play, Mike Milbury, uh, and it goes on. Uh, just terrific high school hockey in the late '60s in in East Walpole, Mass. And uh, uh, so that's really my foundation. That and pond hockey and shooting dead tennis balls against the dasher of the garage back door and uh, pretending it's the Stanley Cup playoffs. And few people know this, but the Atlanta Flames won the Stanley Cup on my patio in 1978. <laughs> I, will, I will let my father know that, that he won the Stanley Cup. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um, Mick, I'll, I'll start off with the questions, and we'll just go uh, to Rob and then Court. We'll just uh, follow. Um, when when this team and I've I've talked to you at, at training camp uh, as you were there covering and you were also there for development camp, when you saw the young players coming in and then into into uh, the training camp, um, did you see any of this happening? Because this for me and the lack of moves that the team made over the summer, for me, this is very unexpected, and and I'm curious to, to hear what your thoughts are because this is this is something special that we haven't seen in a, in a couple of years. Well, I was looking forward after the playoff series last year and the, the revelation of McAvoy's readiness to be a key contributor and and then waiting for to see if that Luchich trade was ever going to pan out anything for Boston. And then here comes Sean Corrali playing like, a, you know, a Wolverine. And and uh, and and so uh, seeing that series against Ottawa and the way the Bruins really kicked hard against them. Uh, I had a good feeling about them. I had a good feeling about Danton Heinen, despite the fact that last year didn't go quite like uh, he hoped. Um, you know, so I didn't, this thing about having one of the four or five best records in the NHL this deep into the season, that was nowhere near my radar. But as far as my index for this team's going to get better, they're going to be fun to watch. They are now have uh, the makings of the personnel around which the next push for the Stanley Cup in the Bergeron-Krejci era 
and Marshan and Rass that that can happen. It can happen with this group of players and maybe some that we haven't seen yet, but definitely we now are seeing some of these people. And that that is what I've been looking forward to, kind of like a uh, a feeling like they had with the 81-82 Bruins when Peterson and Fergus uh, were rookies and Casper was in his second year and and, um, you know, other guys were coming along. Kluzak wasn't there yet, but Ray Bork was still a young lion. That hockey team had so much potential. And one of the, one of the things I always, my cautionary tale to self is that uh, as good as the Bruins got in 82-83, they were first overall 50-20 and 10, 110 points and took the Dynastic Islanders to six games. Who knows what would have happened if O'Reilly and Milbury were healthy and in the lineup, not to mention Norman Levier. Uh, so, so if that team could have been the heir apparent. Uh, it always shocks me when I think back to in five short years in 1988, they finally got to the Stanley cup and that team had so few players remaining from that 82, 83 squad. The goalies were gone. Ray Bork was still there. Casper was still there, although he wouldn't be for long. So many faces had changed. Keith Crowder and Rick Middleton were nearing the end uh, of their 10 years in Boston. Uh, and yet, and yet this team, looked like there was so much ahead of it with crucial Niski and all these young players that was so good. Um, you know, so you got to keep it, you got to keep things in perspective and try not to take uh, a good season too seriously as far as what the big picture holds. Anybody? Yeah, no, I'm good. Um, so Mick, you're, you're, you alluded to the guys that are not on the roster yet. Uh, and also you talked about how you saw something in Danton Heinen. Um, who do you think is the next Danton Heinen? Because we all know Bjork had his, his injury troubles. Otherwise, he might possibly still be in the lineup. And you've got a guy like JFK who can't even get in um, because of how good the depth is. We have a fourth line that's one of the best best lines in hockey. Who Who is that guy in Providence, or maybe not even in Providence, that is the next Danton Heinen? Well, this this is uh, this is the question, and you know Trent Fredericks playing good college hockey was impressive in the WJC. Um, he, he, there's there's a lot of ways this can go, but the Bruins have spoken so highly of of Forsbacka Carlson, and then we haven't even mentioned Ryan Donato and all that he's doing right now. Um, you know, this kid's obviously got a lot of skill. Um, uh, I'm, I'm, I hear a lot of chatter that he's that, that he may turn pro right away here. Uh, his father's connection with Don Sweeney at Harvard University and being his, his, his coach, I just find it hard to believe that he isn't going to finish that out. So maybe I don't have the right pulse there, but um, for me, Danton Heinen was the next Louis Erickson. When I saw him play for Denver, I think it was back in 2015 regionals at Providence uh, at the uh, Dunkin' Donuts Center against the Friars, who eventually won the national title. Uh, Denver was playing the heavy game, and Danton Heinen was a key component of it. And if not for a bad uh, mid-ice hit that got their best defenseman knocked out of the game and led to a power play goal for Providence, uh, Denver might have gone on to win that title. They were so good in that game. I was really, really impressed. Uh, Heinen, I, I felt like, you know, a little bit of that Andre Savard thing for people who are really, really old. Uh, he didn't have that, quite have that NHL stride when he got his first NHL opportunity. The Bruins downplay that and talk about him needing to be harder on pucks and, and learn how the, what, what competitive level it takes. It didn't take him long. The one season in Providence really 
Uh, and and things didn't start off automatically this season either for him in Boston. But once he did get back here, there was no looking back because he cashed in on his opportunity because he's a player very much like Louis Erickson. While he's not athletically spectacular in any one dimension, he is a craftsman that goes way beyond what his years are. And so for me, uh, he almost negates the loss of Louis. Awesome. It, now, follow up to that. Who Who do you think that us as fans and, and, and the media might might be a guy that we're, we're overvaluing just a bit because we will go into trade talk and, and everybody does need to realize all these kids can't play together. It's, it's eventually somebody's going to get moved. Yeah, it happens from time to time with different players. I know there was an awful lot of hype about Jesse Gabriel when he first got to development camp. And uh, and then note that he couldn't stick with the Providence Bruins. He wound up going back to juniors. So um, th- there's there's a lot there. And then there's guys who stick around and get forgotten about. And those guys continue playing hockey against men and wind up becoming regular contributors at the AHL level. And we tend to forget them. And then we find out when a Jordan Swartz comes up, as he is right now with the club, uh, you know, that this guy uh, has put in a lot of time. And while he got no hype, he might be the most serviceable guy at the moment for the role that they need to fill on an emergency basis. So as far as long-term projections and trying to draw up your, your grease board line charts of what the championship Bruins are going to look like in three years uh, or whatever, how many that takes. Um, uh, I'm, I go through periods of time where I like guys and then I don't like them. And then I like them. I was not a DeBrusque fan. He won me over. Uh, I, I thought that his game was was uh, a lot of uh, I'm not a big fan of players who need to pounce on a dead moment in the game in order to make an impact in that hockey game. It's kind of a the Bobby Ryan syndrome. Uh, I, I think there's a room for a player like that on a team, but it's never a building block to a championship team. Um, so the fact that the brusque has has filled in those areas, those competitive areas where uh, even though he has an uncanny ability to sense when the momentum or the swirl or the motion of five-on-five play gives him a chance to gain some speed on a few quick steps and just take off and leave defensemen looking like pylons, uh, that is still the, the main source of his offense, but he has done a fantastic job developing the rest of his game and competing in the hard areas uh, as the season's gone along here. I wouldn't say he's playing his best hockey right now, but I'm very, very impressed with what he has done to make himself an NHL player. The Bruins were always talking about him, and I was very slow to come around, but, but, but I'm on board now with, with, with what he was able to do. Um, I, I was just going to ask, a, a few years ago, the Bruins didn't have much uh, depth at forward with the prospect court, but now it seems like they've got more forward depth than defensive depth. Um, I've got two questions. Who who would be your best defensive prospect that the Bruins have outside of the actual Boston team? And... Also, I love Tal Vakanainen. I'm sorry, I, Rob. I didn't go ahead. Finish sorry. your question. Uh, the, I was the, jumping the in. The part of the question was um, when Zidane Chara leaves, maybe in two years, maybe in ten years, how he's playing now. Um, <laughs> who who takes over on that left side? Because Tory Krug hasn't shown that he can be 
a top two defenceman, uh, and they have a big gaping hole on that top pairing to fill in. Uh, do they fill it through free agency or through prospects? Well, this is why I think I'm going to back in now and take part two first, if you don't mind. This is why I think they need to make the McDonough trade. Um, I think if it's if I don't think that that replacement is apparent until this situation came up where the Rangers decided to sell. And frankly, I'm shocked that McDonough is part of the sell off. If I were them, I would keep him and build around. I would. I feel like they're getting wrong, rid of the wrong pieces here. Um, I remember when the Buffalo Sabres in 1996 finished at the bottom of the. Uh, I think we then knew it as the um, uh, Adams Division, and and uh, they uh, nobody believed that they were going to be any good in 96, 97. But John Muckler kept Dominic Hasek instead of cashing him in for future pieces. They won the division that year, and I asked him a few years later, "Why did you keep him?" And he said, they needed Dom for our rebuild. He said, uh, by the end of the season, they were helping Dom. And I feel similarly about a stalwart defenseman like McDonough. Um, I I really don't uh, see at age 28, uh, that's that's pretty young for a defenseman whose whose career has not been injury riddled. you know, he got run over once by Ronaldo on the boards and got a concussion. I know he's had, a, I think it was a shoulder at one point, but McDonough to me is a guy who probably can offer the Bruins several years of rejuvenated elite level two-way defensemen. Is he spectacular offensively? No. Does he have to be? Not in my opinion. I believe that that trade should be made and Bruins, if they have half the prospect pool that everybody thinks they have, they should find a way to get this done. I think it gives them an, an amazingly surprising and wonderful opportunity to bridge the generation gap between a four, soon to be 41 year old Zidane Ochara and then in the uh, prospects that they've been farming up, whether it's Ryan Lindgren or Jakob Zaboro in Providence or, or, uh, or, or whether they're going to go Robbie O'Gara or whether Grizzlick's game is going to continue to develop. Uh, the fact of the matter is, in my opinion, uh, uh, then let me subtract. It's my opinion. It's not a fact. Tory Krug is best suited to be a third pairing defenseman whose whose minutes are expanded out past the 20 mark by power play opportunities and playing to his strengths. Uh, I think he's got the heart of a lion. I love it when they put the A on his sweater. Uh, but at the end of the day, he's got short, stubby legs, uh, the kind that cr- keeps Chris Bork out of the NHL. It, it makes him a marginal top four defenseman in the NHL. And I think that this is a massive opportunity that the Bruins cannot pass up. If they want to rectify and get their team right in order to pursue the Stanley Cup, to me, that's, this is a no-brainer. You, you make this happen. I don't care how you do it. And that means trading Jake DeBrusque. Then you try to expand the deal, maybe get Chris Kreider out of it, do something, but make this happen. That's uh, Without it, uh, the Bruins don't win the Stanley Cup uh, during the Bergeron Krejci window, unless something similar comes along, and I don't know what that would be. Um, now, going back to your first uh, point, uh, there was a question there before this one, um, uh, and can you re- repeat it because I'm I've kind of going so far on this, and I was afraid I'd do that yeah, because this right. is the hot topic of the day. I was just asking, what do you think the best defensive prospect is that the Bruins have right now? And where would you see him? I, I love Bakanainen. 
Yeah, I really like him. I think he's a really good prospect. I think he's. I loved his game in the World Juniors. Um, back in nine, and uh, the thing I loved about him is no matter where the puck was on the ice, and no matter which team had it, he played a tight game. He played aggressively. He didn't try to make spectacular plays that weren't there and impact the game somehow in sort of a, a me-me kind of way. Uh, but but as a team player and as a system player, there's a smoothness to his game that I thought was excellent. Uh, and, yeah. and I would love to continue to see that develop. Um, I think he could play uh, in the NHL uh, very effectively. He didn't shy away from contact. He endured contact. Uh, very well, and I think that that's a skill, and I think it's one that's more necessary than the ability to dole out punishment as a defenseman in, in the NHL because of the way the rules are these days especially. So uh, he's he's the guy that I'm really uh, kind of uh, excited to see play more live when I get the opportunity. Yeah, he reminds me a lot of uh, Colton Pareko uh, from the St. Louis Blues. He's very calm on the puck. He's a very quiet guy. Like he doesn't make the highlight real plays, but he's just every everything in his game is pretty good right now. And if he can build on that, he's going to be a, a big piece of the future. Right. I, I don't think Pareko's. Uh, I mean, he he that's he's such a monster that uh, he's not known for the qualities that you're alluding to right now. But they are definitely there in Pareko's game, and that's why he's a bit of a rising star right now. Yeah. Uh, Mick, um, as a as a former goaltender myself, not pro any level, just beer league, I, I generate my con my my questions to a lot of people like yourself uh, on the goaltending aspects so of in the future. And when thinking about the future and the way that a goaltender like Anton Hudobin has been playing, it's it's definitely a contract year, no doubt. But do you see the Bruins uh, retaining him for at least another year or two, and uh, the price that it could cost? Um, because on, on, honestly, honestly, I don't think if, if you want to go in a cap idea and bring McIntyre up, I think that's a bad idea. That's just my opinion. And, and it's from the yeah, games I that I have that seen that, at the NHL level and the AHL level. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think McIntyre, when he had outstanding AHL numbers, he came up, his NHL opportunities were really duds. And, and I think it'd be at a time in Tuca's career where they need to make sure that the backup goalie is a, um, a solidified position of, you know, something they can really believe in. I, I think there's just enough crazy, though, in Dobie's game that, that uh, he may not get the offers that would keep the Bruins from being able to compete for him on a reasonable big picture plan basis. So I'm not writing off the idea of a Hudobin return. I would think that would be the first priority because he fits very well in the room. He and um, he's well liked and he's performed very well this year as he did at the end of last season. Um, so you know, it, it really depends on what Hudobin's value system is and 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 whether or not he wants to chase opportunity to be in to compete to be a number one somewhere where that's needed or whether or not he'd be, he'd rather, you know, stick around and see if he'd be part of something special here in Boston. Um, it really is up to him. I think if the Bruins do not, uh, are not able to meet a number that 
that the market will present to Anton, then I think I more expect them to go out into the free agent market themselves and try to band-aid it with somebody else who has a solid NHL resume, even if their last year and a half were riddled with injury or whatever. I, I see that kind of thing more likely. Mick, my, my question here is, and, and I want to preface by saying I'm not putting up a question of uh, Cassidy versus Cole Julian, because Julian did a ton for this this hockey club over the history when he was here. My, my question is more along the lines of there's obviously different coaching styles between the two coaches. And Bergeron was already quoted, and people kind of used the quote improperly, but he said, you know, he lets us play. And it's not to say that Claude didn't let them play, but what do you think is the – the biggest positive impact you've seen since um, Cassidy has become the coach of this Boston Bruins team. He, he only was the intern last year. People got to remember that when he first came on, he was only the intern coach. Um, it wasn't given him the coaching position, but Sweeney obviously saw something and, and, and went with it. Well, he, he saw it a long time ago during the years that Butch had been coaching in Providence. So uh, the fact that Bruce got uh, promoted to the assistant position in Boston was uh, had to be a little uncomfortable for Claude, um, and and even though both guys have have acted, this isn't like the circus we had before in Boston when this kind of these kind of things were going on with coaching staffs. Um, I think that Coach uh, really has a great understanding built over years with Don Sweeney because Don Sweeney was the GM of the Providence Bruins. And those two guys were huddling in a way that Peter Shirelli and Claude did. So there was a bond there, not in terms of loyalty per se, as much as what I'm stressing here is the fact that they had so much opportunity to communicate over players, about players, about strengths and weaknesses, about development plateaus and spikes and, and, and thinking through and, and what Don Sweeney had come to with Claude was uh, a point at which he decided that he could no longer expand that relationship to a point that he felt like it needed to be between him and whoever his coach was going to be. He thought he had hoped that, that he and Julian would be able to develop that, and it didn't quite happen. Uh, I think, you know, for me, I still uh, speculate um, with a lot of confidence that the straw that broke the camel's back was the decision uh, between Colin Miller and Joe Morrow. Um, if you look back at Claude's final uh, weeks in Boston, uh, I was about a half a dozen games uh, before Claude got fired that Colin Miller was in the lineup. Prior to that, he was getting scratched and Joe Morrow was in the lineup. I have no doubt that Claude preferred Joe Morrow to Colin Miller. And I didn't start believing this when the Canadians picked up Joe Morrow. I was only like, con that confirmed my suspicion when that happened. Uh, and I think that that, you know, there's always some point at which you, you decide that uh, he likes this player. I don't like this player. I'm the coach. I'm not putting him in. Well, yeah, you're going to put him in. And it was time. It was time to move on. And Butch was ready. He had been coach of the Washington Capitals back in the Stone Age. And, and, he, and he had deserved an opportunity, came on and was a faithful assistant to Rob Murray for years before he was even the head coach of the Providence Bruins. And, and Butch has done a great job, uh, you know, preparing himself for this opportunity, much like Mike Sullivan did uh, in his years uh, with John Tortorella and then going on his own to coaching the minors. Uh, you know, so, so, so Butch 
you know, uh, I think it gets overplayed a lot, the difference between the uh, the styles, because the roster turnover has been tremendous during this time. And I think that an awful lot of what gets passed off as a philosophical differences has to do with the confidence that each guy has. Let's talk for let's and, and if you don't believe me on that, think back to the Spooner Vetrano incident of last year when Clo got fired and those guys were talking, you know, and he had to be muzzled by Cam Neely after making comments, you know, about Vetrano saying, I guess I'm not one of his guys. Well, guess who, who's not one of whose guys now? He's not one of Cassidy's guys either, if you noticed. So I, I think that development is hard. I think that players take years in order to become to to uh, grow out their games to become NHL serviceable, and I think that certain players are going to pass them if they present opportunities. For me, Claude never lacked uh, an interest in playing young guys. It was competitive guys. If you want to talk about, I think what gets said a lot about Claude could actually have been said about Pat Burns. Uh, I don't think it can be said as much about Claude Julian. Uh, I just think that the Bruins were a different team under his watch and the changes they were going through, they weren't up. The personnel hadn't evolved to the level that Claude could do with it. Now, would he have done exactly what Cassidy has been doing with it? No. He's a different guy. He has a different a different way, a different method. But is he speaking an entirely different language and having different diamond? It's still about compete level, no matter what your style is. I know that Butch wants quicker ups. He doesn't want to use that back pass off the backboards to discourage four checkers unless they got no other play. Claude would do it to discourage them, and then he would come up the ice. Uh, he would, he would, uh, they'd always talk about tweaking it. We want to get the puck sooner. This happened for the last three years of Claude's uh, tenure in Boston. They were talking about changing their, tweaking their systems to get the puck back sooner. Well, if you can't, though, or if you're getting burnt on odd man rushes, then you can't keep playing that way. And to me, that goes back to the players. So to me, um, yeah, Butch has been an amazing coach for the Bruins. And, uh, and I think that, you know, he has been more patient with the freewheeling uh, stuff. But you notice what happened with David Pasternak in the last home game. Uh, you know, there was a situation there where he was giving the puck, puck to the opponent. Uh, and and Butch, uh, you know, wanted to 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 uh, make that line more successful. So he said, OK, I'm going to put Bacchus there. I think we could use the physical presence more than what's going on right now. Was there a message for Pasternak? Well, when pressed by Fluto, he, he Fluto should die with the Boston Globe. He then admitted it in the post game that yeah, he didn't want to play up that, but there was part of it too. And David will get the message, and David does get the message. He's a good kid, and he's a, he plays hard, he works hard. He just really goes crazy when his playmaking and and some of his passes go all over the place because of it. Sometimes in the enemy hands and bad places. So for me, um, um, you know, you know, I'm. People could label me a Claude loyalist. That doesn't mean I'm at all anti-Cassidy. I think Cassidy's been a tremendous coach and very deserving of all the mentions that he gets for the Coach of the Year award that Gerard Gallant would win. Rob? Um, I, I was going to ask one more thing. With, uh, with all the craziness of people talking about guys like uh, Drew Dowdy, Eric Carlson going to free agency. Um, do you think there's anyone out there that is a risk that the Bruins might sign to what could be a team-killing deal? Because with the amount of cap space left, even when a guy like Chara either takes a discount or takes a walk, um, 
you've still got guys like McAvoy, Carlo that need re-signing that are going to take a lot of money. Do you think there's anyone mm-hmm. out there that the Bruins would take a risk on spending maybe six million plus on? No. I think they're committed to their plan. I do think that they would trade for a guy if they thought it was the right move for the franchise. If Don Sweeney agrees with me, then cap concerns will not stop him from trading for Ryan McDonough. If he agrees with me that that's a deal, that if it's there, it must be done, then the cap won't stop him from doing it. What it may do is stop the, it may cause problems for the Bruins when they get to the cusp of competing for the Stanley Cup that they might be in a situation where, oh, we can't add the guy we wanted to add right now. We were hoping to do that, but we're in too much of a cap situation because we had to pay all these guys who are in the second stage of their careers, the second contracts, um, which, which you know, in, come 2021, I think the second contract is going to become a big issue in the NHL. And uh, even though the cap uh, is forecast to continue expanding, um you know, I'm not looking out there like the Bruins are already saying, oh, I want, you know, this guy, that guy. They do their due diligence. They got the scouts out there. They're watching everybody. They're making their notes. They're meet, having their meetings. Um, but I, I don't think that there's anybody that they're really uh, uh, hot to trot over. I think that uh, um, a situation to fix the team, um, and here's one that could be very painful. It could result in the trade of Tory Krug. Uh, it could result in a lot of things. Uh but uh, if if they if they agree with me that this is the move that they that they need to make if it's there for them, then um, then then you get a guy into your team and then you you deal with the ramifications. Yeah. Um, Mick, I my question is, uh, what about standing firm? I know it's you know it's not everybody's favorite option, but and uh, if if expectations are failed over the uh, the postseason. What about targeting like a a player like um, John Carlson from the Washington Capitals, uh, relative good money deal, and uh, and he's he's a very offensive defenseman, which I seem, I you know I, I watch a lot of his game, and he seems to be a transitioning defenseman that the Bruins are constantly looking to do is is get more time out of the zone. Am I wrong? Is Carlson a right shot or a left? I believe he's a right. Yeah, see, I mean, you got Mark McAvoy playing the um, transition role in the lead as your right shot, um, assuming you still have Carlo, and then you have Kevin Miller, who by the end of last season was looking like their second-best guy out there, uh, and uh, or third, and then you have Adam McQuaid, Old Faithful. Uh, you, you're so deep on the right, and yet on the left, you have a 41, soon-to-be 41-year-old. You have... Uh, Tory Krug, who has struggled to be uh, a top four, five-on-five five guy against top two lines, um, and then from there you get you've been backfilling with prospects or trying to switch somebody over from the right side to play the left, as Claude did with Kevin Miller for a spell there, and then Bruce switched between him and Colin Miller in the, that role. And the the fact is, is they got to address the left side now in today's air hockey pinball puck flying around the ice era with the new sticks. Uh, the, the coaches, whether we like it or not, and whether Ray Bork, Brad Park, and Bobby Orr carved out great careers as right side defensemen with left shots is really unfortunately not uh, relevant to the discussion 
the lefts play the left and the rights play the right on almost every team until they get reached the attacking zone where a lot of guys, if they have time, like to get the sticks inside like you do on a power play. Well, in, in this case, um, the Bruins got to have a left shot uh, player there. And that's why they've been trying to farm up all these left shot prospects. That's what this is about. They're trying to find the next the next wave. Uh, that comes back to this McDonough thing. Um, it, it's If there's a left shot, then, then his name you know doesn't seem a hot uh, commodity um but right now uh that's where the need is on this team and that's where coaches like to play their guys that's how they want them to defend that's how they want them coming out of their zone um they're just not going to throw guys on the left uh, if they do it they do it as a as a band-aid dennis seidenberg went over to the right as a left shot uh because it fixed the problem not because they loved having him there uh, Andrew Ferentz did it when Seidenberg couldn't. Claude wouldn't trust anybody else with that job. Uh, I don't see the Bruins going after a right-handed uh, play, uh, defenseman um, unless they move Carlo. Then you have a situation to talk about. But until the, with the present personnel, not happening. Now, to, to go more on this this McDonough thing, we've all heard the rumors, and I, I wanted to say that, and I'm sure you'll feel the same, they're all just rumors. These are all just preliminary talks. When you first heard, everybody heard about it, you know, the, the rumor was they were asking for McAvoy or Pasternak, and then, then they were asking for this, and now the rumor is they're asking for DeBrusque, Donato, a first, and, and something else. What do you think would be the fair package to bring in McDonough for his services and both teams walk away satisfied. Nothing. <laughs> the Bruins really? keep it tight. The Bruins keep it very tight. Hate to be disappointing to you. I'm not going to pretend I'm got my uh, my finger here. I I've texted with Don Sweeney from time to time, but it's but it's never been anything um, along the lines of the stuff that produces the reports that you get out of Canada. Usually, usually it's the uh, uh, the the reporters in Canada break Bruins news, not not yeah. us. Um, it, it, you know, so. it's funny when you talked about the media. I've been telling people, I've been telling Mark, I'm like, listen to Hockey Central and the Fan 590. I'm like, they have talked Bruins. Doug McLean has been talking Bruins for about a month and a half, and I can't watch a hockey night in Canada without Kiprios and Friedman talking about how well the Bruins are playing or how Tuca should be Vezina and Bergeron for Hart. Everybody's like, where's this information coming from? I'm like Canadian television. Because <laughs> all they all they talk is Bruins, and they they did talk about McDonough. They didn't mention any names. That's why when this whole Jake DeBrus thing broke the other day, I'm like, I've been listening to the Fan Five Ninety and Friedman, and that, and they haven't mentioned any names. They've been mentioning they're looking for a young prospect, a young defensive prospect, like they're saying defenseman, and a first round draft pick. Yeah, so I'm like, and then you hear Donato DeBrusque well, yeah, well, you would want to get you would want to get a. Uh, I'm sure they would have a coveted young player, and I'm sure that they would have. Uh, they'd want to, as even if it's the secondary item, they would want to have somebody who is going to train up to become McDonough's eventual replacement, which is like an anchor for the left side. So, and since the Bruins are swimming in prospects, that they've purposely gone out uh, with Chara in that in that context, they. They, uh, they now have to uh, send one of those is definitely going to be part of whatever they do. And I assume there'd be maybe some switch of draft picks. Um, uh, frankly, I'm glad we don't hear much about Rick Nash because I don't think the Bruins are a team where Rick Nash is really a fit. 
it's funny you say that they they mentioned that on the on the radio here in Canada as well how uh, a former GM of his <laughs> didn't think Nash would make sense for the Boston Bruins he actually they joked around and said they've already got Jake DeBrusque what do they need Rick Nash for well that that's that's actually a pretty good uh, point and I guess uh, and the one caveat would be that if the Bruins did send Jake DeBrusque over would we they want both of those guys and I don't think the Bruins would go that route, even even though it would answer the equa- the equation. I don't think that's what the, the direction the Bruins want to take their team. They don't want to say, OK, we've been rebuilding and whoa, whoa, whoa suddenly we're pretty good here. OK, we're going to just go against our philosophy now and take on everybody else's problems. You know, that's that's not where this is going to go. Uh, if the Bruins did the McDonough deal, it'll be because they believe that he can be Zdeno Chara's successor and put them in a position to be uh, so that uh, there's a defensive elite presence on the blue line in a longer term than Chara's to be a mentor to the young guys they have who are still awfully green. And, you know, and I've been pounding my fist ad nauseum about this. Drew Doughty was 22 years old and at the end of his fourth NHL season when the Kings won the cup in 2012. Bobby Orr, 1970, same thing. 22 years old at the end of his fourth NHL season. These these guys, teams don't win the cup when you got one guy at the end of his second full NHL season and, and another guy who plays ahead of him who's at the end of his first NHL season and they're like 20 years old, these guys. They a hundred years of NHL history. This has not happened. Are the Bruins going to all of a sudden smash all of that right now? Um, I don't think they need six games like last night's in Vancouver to to convince uh, people that that's unrealistic. But they just got to understand that if anybody thinks that they're going to actually possibly win the Stanley Cup with this team or at, at this young. Um, they got to understand that they're, they're going against huge amounts of history here. It's just not likely. Fair enough. Rob, you got one? Um, I, I was just going to say <clears throat> it, looks, it looks like they want a left winger, which kind of makes sense for how their roster is looking right now. Um, but a guy like Flaherick may be maybe you can switch him in for a guy like DeBrusque and then give them a better defensive prospect than they've been asking. But at the same time, everyone can play armchair GM and kind of work out a package for this guy. It, I don't think anyone, anyone in the world knows what the actual package for that deal would be right now. Um, do you have... Any ideas towards anything that to do with it, or would you well, not I think, hazard it? I think Rob, that your speculation is very sound. I'm sure the Bruins would prefer to send an unproven uh, prospect, however hopeful they are of that player, uh, in any trade for a significant upgrade to their team over a player who has stepped in and is doing it right now, which is Jake DeBrusque. Uh, so if you say that. Now you say, well, what is Steve Eisenman going to do? Are you going to let the player get away out of your grasp because somebody else is going to outbid you? That's obviously the scenario that the New York Rangers want to create in order to get somebody to, quote, unquote, overpay. So you're right. We don't know. 
and we probably have talked about. And, and, and the other thing is in line with this, and this is something that Celtics uh, uh, president of basketball operations, Danny Ainge, said uh, after the trade deadline uh, last year, I think it was, uh, that, you know, you guys had us doing this and this and this, and none of those things were happening. But we had other things going on that you didn't talk about. So there could be other things completely unrelated to all of this New York Rangers chatter that the Bruins have in the works that that may happen. And it may not be blockbuster material. It may not take a bite out of the core. It may not take a bite out of the future. But it may be something else uh, that's a little more subtle and some situation that if somebody uh, does their their legwork and goes through all 30 other teams and looks at their situations, their contracts, their point in the standings, and, 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 and looks at them with the same amount of time that they examine the Bruins situation, you may be able to forecast something like that, which is usually what does happen. Like Chris Tanev in Vancouver. Heard that one. Um, uh, I thought Tanev was a right – Right shot. Yes, he is. Yeah. I just don't see the Bruins adding right shot defensemen. They're glutted. They're glutted right now. It used to be something they needed. Now they need left. And and uh, they may opt for the tweak. They may decide the price of McDonough is too high and opt for the tweak. And if you go with the tweak, that pretty much kicks Grizzlick out of the lineup. And it may change Krug's role depending on how uh, accomplished that player is uh, that they get. That That kind of thing could happen. It doesn't mean that they're not going to stay the course, but it could be that they tweak, get a rental, do something just to say, okay, we want to see if we can win a couple rounds here. Hey, Mick, we're coming up on our hour closing. I uh, just wanted to end it here by uh, saying uh, thank you very much for your uh, your time. Uh, that's That was a lot and a lot of fun. Um, definitely learned a lot more from you uh, just by sitting here talking to you. So thanks again. Um, Mick writes for the Standard Times in Bedford, Mass. He, he's also the host of the Rink Wrap podcast. Like I said, please subscribe to him. He's got a lot of good things to say, as you've just heard on this program. And you can follow him at Mick Collagio on Twitter. Thank you very much, sir. Yeah, that was awesome, Thank Mick. You, Thank you. Thanks, Court. Thanks, Rob. Yeah, we definitely. Yeah, thanks. That's been great. Yeah, we definitely would love, love to have you on sometime soon, uh, hopefully towards the end of the season as we approach the playoffs. So. Looking forward to it, guys. All right. Nice job. Thank you. Thank you very much, everybody, for listening. Uh, you can follow us on Apple, iTunes, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, and so on. Um, that was that was awesome. A lot of good good insight from Mick. Um, and I definitely look forward to having him back on. Yeah, I think that's going to do it, gentlemen. Um, I look forward to talking next week uh, and also uh, the games that are coming up. we got a lot to talk about. So, Yeah, definitely. It's yeah, big time. Busy few weeks. Yeah, I hope you yeah. guys uh, recover from your wounds and, uh, and be well, okay? We'll talk soon. Passion, talent, development. NCAA hockey offers all that and its players graduate at a 90% rate. Dylan Larkin. Backhand scores! Wow, what a goal! Kevin Shattenkirk. Goal! James Van Riemsdyk were stars on campus before the NHL stage. Whether you are a fan or a player, nothing compares to college hockey. Visit collegehockeyinc.com and follow at College Hockey. Champions of the college hockey world! Hey, Bruins fans. As a kind of a surprise guest, um, 
Uh, I have Josh with me, and he's uh, a writer for ShippingUpToCausewaY.com website, and he covers the Providence Bruins on the regular. Good website and a good read. You can follow him to Causeway on t- at to Causeway on Twitter. Uh, Josh, welcome to the show. Mark, thanks so much for having me. Honestly, as soon as I started listening to you guys' podcast and I started doing the uh, blog, I was like, oh, I want to be on this show so bad. So <laughs> this is actually a wonderful surprise to me as well. I appreciate you having me on. Oh, we appreciate I appreciate the time because we, we, we just got done having uh, Mick Collagio, and he's and he's a writer for a Bruins writer for the Standard Times in New Bedford, Mass. So um, I've definitely seen his uh, his work before. So that's I'm a, I guess I'm following up on a really great act. So uh, yeah, that's gonna, this week's episode is going to be a real good lesson. Yeah, uh, and we we do it like an hour program because of uh, limited time with um, uh, Robin and Court. So yeah, I, 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 I to ask you guys what's the um, what's the time difference between you? Uh, Rob is five hours ahead. Yikes. Yeah, so, I can understand why you guys got to keep it to an hour. Yeah, and 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 with uh, Court, sometimes uh, having the new um, his baby, I think it's a little over a year now. Um, so they're you know still adjusting to that. So um, time is a little limited, but I like <laughs> yep, to I, I like to take the opportunity to to do our regular hour program and then have somebody else on to like kind of finish off like a two hour set. So. Gives a little bit more to listen to and a little bit more coverage uh, in areas that people don't normally hear from, and which is the prospects. And I kind of feel that sometimes prospects are getting overshadowed by the NHL uh, action, and and it's important to find um, ways to listen and read about tomorrow's stars of today. So, uh, absolutely. Uh, I think uh, Anthony Witkowski, who's a Bruins Network, put it best that Providence is the hidden gem of kind of the Bruins hockey world because you go into Providence and you see exactly like you said, the stars of tomorrow, and it's on a very accessible stage. I mean, if you go to the dunk, you've been there before, Mark, it's kind of an intimate setting. So there's, it's like the, gar- it's like the TD Garden fact that there's no bad seats. You always get a great view, and it's actually pretty close to the ice. So it's amazing to actually see all of these guys up close before they hit the big leagues. And with the recent draft picks that Sweeney's made, I mean, you've got a lot of kids in there now. I mean, this is probably the biggest class draft class that I've seen in there to date, and I've been going there since about 2013. Yeah, I, we, we've actually had Anthony on before, and he was a fantastic guest and a, and a lot of knowledge. So uh, we look forward to having him on again. Um, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. When it comes down to uh, the the prospects and the and the Providence organization, it's um, you know I, I love going there because they have the best seats in the league and the NHL. That I've never seen a whole arena full of cushioned seats. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, the uh, the dunk is very well equipped. I mean, yeah, like you said, cushion seats and cup holders. Super, super convenient, believe me. <laughs> absolutely. Um, so what I wanted to have you on today, vote was obviously the Providence Bruins, but I'm, I'm, I'm kind of seeing a weird trend. And I'm, I, I talked to a couple other people and they said I shouldn't worry about it. But when it comes down to numbers, numbers don't lie. So let me go through the, the whole 2017-18 season right now for the Providence Bruins. 
Oh, I think I know where this is going. Where it it goes, where it goes from month to month. Okay. So October, they were six and two. November, they were four, four and two. December, they were 11, two and one. Fantastic month. Amazing month. January, four, seven, oh, and one. And this month so far, five, two, oh, and one. What is up with this team? I, I, I'm not. Marky, you know what I think the biggest problem is, and it's, it's related to the youth itself, is that with youth comes inconsistency. You know, the, the thing about the kids is that until they kind of get experience at the professional level, I think they're just going to be inconsistent. And the ones that are consistent get taken up to Boston and we don't see them. So the team, unfortunately, kind of suffers because somebody did well. I know it's kind of an oxymoron to say, but as the prospects do well and as they gain consistency, generally they find their way up to Boston sooner than later. Yeah, but I mean, majorly my concern is this: this team was just on fire. They were they were leading the Eastern Conference. I'm sorry, the Atlantic Conference, and they were they were real close to the uh, Eastern Conference top. But now uh, they've dropped down to third in the Atlantic and fifth in the Eastern Conference. Um, and it, it's more of a Jekyll and Hyde team to me now. I, I like the way. That um that Jay Leach has 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 came into the first season, uh as the bench boss and what he's doing, but I'm also seeing real bad defensive breakdowns, really letting the goaltenders down, and uh, I'm just curious if if is something else that you've seen that is is of concern to you. I think it's honestly the fact that Jay Leach is a first year head coach and all of the new prospects who've just who have come from the chl i mean you have um if my map is correct about seven different prospects one of them actually went back to the whl and jesse gabrielle but um you have several different prospects from several different systems all now coming together and here's the Bruins system so now they have to learn something completely different i mean hockey is hockey is hockey is hockey but every coach has their own different methodology of approaching it. And with Jay Leach's kind of, he's, he's also a first year head coach himself. So he's kind of learning the ropes of being a bench boss. He might've done, I believe he did some work as an assistant coach, but it's completely, the, the view from the top is completely different. So I think it's a combination of the kids coming in, learning the new system and also Jay Leach getting some of his own growth pains out. Yeah, um, I, last year Ke- Kevin Dean was the uh, the head coach, Jay Leach was the assistant coach along with Trent Whitfield, and this year it's um, it's a uh, Leach Whitfield and an, and another coach that I just can't remember his name. He's he's Spencer relatively yes, yes, that's it, Spencer. Um, so, I mean, it, there's going to be good games and there's going to be bad games. Um, and I, I completely understand that, but. What I don't kind of get, and I'm I'm having a hard time dealing with, is finding where Zane McIntyre is fitting in this, in the Bruins organization's future. Uh, he had an outstanding year. He, all right, let's go back to his his rookie season in the AHL. Mm-hmm. Outstanding year. I mean, no, I'm sorry. He it was it was a very 
it was a first year jitters kind of season, if I can if I can say so. His yeah, second yeah, his second year, out of college. Yeah, out of uh University of North Dakota. Mm-hmm. His second year was outstanding. And that's where I really bit on to where he's gonna uh, be in the fold. But this year, I'm seeing him struggle badly. And 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 most of all, I'm seeing him giving up really soft goals within a minute or two of yeah. the, uh, the start of the games. And that's concerning me. And the reason why it's concerning me is because him not doing good this season is pretty much forcing the Bruins to like really seriously consider re-signing Anton Hudobin. And if they do that, Anton Hudobin's not going to want to stay here for a year. And he's going to want some money. So he's going to want term and cash, which means at, you know, Next season is Zane McIntyre's technically last contracted year under restricted free agent status. I just see things not working out for him in this Bru- in a Bruins uniform in the future. Uh, your thoughts? Um, I'm a little bit more optimistic about this. I know that goalies have just a certain sort of inconsistency until they find their groove. And I think what we saw last year, which was Zane McIntyre's best season and just absolutely blew pretty much everybody away their expectations i think that was the that was a picture like a that was a picture of his feeling what he's what he could really do this is this is him at his best and now we're seeing what his floor could be this earlier this season i gotta say yeah i do i remember those games where he's given up a couple of bad goals in fact you could almost time your watch by them unfortunately as much as i love the guy but Lately, he's been picking it back up. I think it's just every player kind of goes through a sophomore slump. In fact, uh, case in point, Brandon Carlo this year. I mean, he's had his rough moments, and it's just it's an adjustment period. I think he's going to be just fine in the Bruins system, but you're right. I mean, I think his play down this stretch from, what's today, February 19th, from February 19th until his last game in the – Calder Cup playoffs is going to determine what his future is in the Bruins organization. Because as we know, I mean, a string of good games can erase a string of bad games as, uh, as the, uh, the, uh, the NHL Bruins have proven to us that a, a very poor start can be eliminated with a series of good games. So I think, I don't think I'm not ready to sell him yet. I'm not ready to give up on the guy yet. I think he's got it. When he fits into the Bruins system, that's up for a lot of debate. You're absolutely right because he needs to put it together sooner than later. Like you said, restricted free agency is looming, and goalies peak later as well. I'm I'm not ready to give up on him yet. I know that he's got some he's got something left in the tank that he's ready that he's about to show us, but just hasn't put the pieces together yet. Um, so uh, let's get let's walk out of the crease and go into the uh, the hash marks area of the defensive zone. Um, so, what do you think about the defense? Do you think the defense uh, is just a work in progress, and they need to put the place Absolutely. pieces where they go? Um, Absolutely, yeah. Uh, in fact, in this recent Springfield game from yesterday, we saw some defensive pairings that. I mean, yeah, Mark Diva, Mark Diva pointed that out that Zborl and Lausen, uh, first time they were paired together. And I, I watched the game on yeah, AHL so- Live and I thought, it, I thought they looked great. 
Yeah, I've been, I was also watching on AHL on as I was at work yesterday, and uh, my goodness, yeah, exactly. They look like a lot of fun together. I think another kind of drawback of the defense is they're almost all left-handed. The only right-handed defenseman on that entire squad is actually under an AHL contract, and that's Connor Clifton. So I think the handedness, it's not a killer, but it's definitely not helping them either because people are a little bit more apt to play their correct side. Like a, a right winger should play right wing. I mean, he can play his off wing, but he's going to do better when he's put on his correct side. So I think the defense is mostly hindered by the personnel that they have right now. Not to say that everybody that know that everybody's a slouch, but I think it's just the makeup of the team is, not as optimal as it could be. So you know how you like to platoon left defense, right defense. We have a lot of left-handed defenses, but I think, yeah, it's just a combination of growing pains and a lot of out-of-position players. So I'm I'm not overly concerned about that, though I would like to see them not get beat as much on certain plays. And it's, it's, it's part of the learning curve, but it does seem like, they either give up on plays or they're kind of out of position when they're uh, when the uh, the opposing team is coming into the defensive zone. So, yeah, I'm not ready to uh, sound the warning bells yet. I think it's just a bunch of kids and being out of position. Mark, honestly, I'm I'm, I'm okay with them. The, the there's a lot of um, like bad talk when it comes down to prospects and and especially with Jakob Borrell and Jeremy Laws and that because they haven't reached the NHL yet, that they weren't good prospects in 2015. Um, I see a lot of good things coming from Jakobs Borrell. And I think this is, this is primarily, I think this is primarily from stat watchers. I mean, they, they see Jakob uh, only having 10 points in, in 49 games. But to me, I look at a stat that is like, is one that's really not thought of a lot. And that's plus minus. And as a rookie, he's third in the league in plus minus, which means when he's on the ice, he's doing good things. Exactly. Exactly. Stat watchers are exactly that. They are definitely watching the wrong stat. Because if you watched watched him back in October, I remember saying to myself, oh, geez, this is going to be a long season if if we have to mold Jakob Zaboyle. But as the season's gone along, Mark, you've just seen an immense evolution of this kid, which is absolutely amazing he knows he's the way i like to describe prospects is like you have a toolbox and what's in the toolbox kind of determines your your draft position if you have a lot of tools your probably draft position is higher Jakob zaboro has an entire toolbox worth of things to work with and you've seen it over the course of the season just develop knowing when and where to use those specific tools and absolutely yeah he's He's, he's probably one of the brightest things to come out of this season, even though he's not, you know, NHL ready yet. And that's okay. I mean, prospects develop at their own rates. We've seen some prospects like Charlie McAvoy, two games in the AHL, boom, up to Boston, and he's off and away, and he's being anointed the savior of this franchise, and we're ready to bow down to him like we are to Bobby Orr and Ray Bork. But other prospects just take time, and that's, it's okay. It's it's actually kind of in this cap 
uh, in the salary cap, that's what I was looking for, in the salary cap era, we're actually okay with these prospects taking a little while to develop because otherwise you'll have a bunch of people looking for big contracts all at the same time, and that's going to mean you're going to have to trade assets, you're going to have to give away assets, you're going to have to part ways with some people, and I like this whole drafting and developing system. I really don't want them to have to be to have to trade prospects away just because we couldn't make room for them. So it's almost doing the Bruins a favor that certain prospects are developing at a slightly slower pace than others. When it comes down to Jakob Zaboro, and um, I, I talk to Craig Eagles uh, on a on a regular basis, and he and he's a Rogers uh, TV color analyst for the uh, in in the Maritimes for the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League, and. And he was telling me when Jakob was when Zaboro was with the St. John Sea Dogs, there was he had up and down like roller coaster seasons, and that's when after the Bruins selected him in 2015 uh, with the 13th pick, a lot of people saw that um, up and down kind of roller coaster thing, and they really con- got concerned about it. But what Craig and, and what I'd like to do is I like to reach out to the people that ha- have actually seen. Um, these guys play and get close to these guys. That's why I'm a huge prospect guy on the website and, and on the podcast. But Craig was telling me that he works on different styles of, of the game to be prepared for when he gets to the AHL or the NHL, that he'll have a, like a total package or that or that full toolbox, as you explained. Um, so I'm not I'm not like going along with he's a terrible prospect because he's not producing. Uh, this is his first year of professional hockey, even though it's in the AHL. It's still a professional league, and he mm-hmm. needs to adjust. And and not to go off topic and go to a forward real quick, but uh, when you talk about people uh, that that judge, a lot of people judge Zach Senishin. And, oh yeah. And it, it's it. I don't get it. I mean, stop watching the stats and just pay the seven ninety nine and watch this guy play because. <laughs> You're not you're not getting the full picture when you just read that he's got. Let me see. He's got 18 points in 46 games, and he's a first round selection. You know, it, you got to look back to when he was on the Sioux Greyhounds. The guy started off as a fourth line player and got 26 yep. goals. And each role that he did, I mean, the Sioux Greyhounds under Sheldon Kennedy, um, those guys were an unbelievable depth team. I mean, his his his, his placement was definitely on the fourth line because of the depth. And as some players transitioned out to go to go to a higher professional league, he got more. He got better roles as a top six forward, and and they literally got forty goals each each level he went up. So you can't just like you know give up on a guy just because he's not having a great first professional year. You got to give time. They got to adjust. It's a, this is an adjustment period for everybody. I think also uh, Jay Leach is trying to teach him how to be more of a complete player, using him on different roles. We've seen him on the penalty kill. I've seen him on the power play. I've seen him fourth line, third line, second line, first line. I think Jay Leach is actually just working on his versatility. I don't. Th- I think honestly, Senesin could be. A first-line player in the AHL getting plenty of minutes each night. However, like you said about Jakob Zaboro, he's teaching him how to be a more complete hockey player, not just one or two dimensions, because we know about his speed. Senesin is an absolute speed demon. If you watch him set during 
certain games. He can absolutely take over a game just by blowing by defenders. I don't remember exactly. Uh, I think it was against either Charlotte or Springfield. But he took the puck right up, blew by two guys, and set up JFK coming in through the slot area. And it was – you saw him – basically in his own zone, and then you saw him in the Springfield zone or the Charlotte zone, I forget which one. It was absolutely amazing. And you, and you say, wow, this kid's really got that. But now we've got to work on some other things. You have to be more a little bit more defensively responsible. You need to work on a little bit more offensive awareness. It's, it's a learning process, like you said, a period of adjustment. And I think Seneshin's now learning how to play all three zones of the game, not just maybe the neutral zone and the, the offensive zone. Um, kind of like an, an unsung hero and not a guy that's really ripping up the, the stats, but you can definitely see that he's working hard and, and that's, um, uh, Ryan Fitzgerald. I, I have been completely impressed with his game and, and like I said, his, his 22 points in 42 games isn't, isn't exactly mind blowing, but if you watch the game like we do, this, this small, the small things that he's doing uh, are making big impacts in his development. He plays the game right. I love that about him. He is such a hard-nosed kind of guy. He'll go anywhere on the ice. He will do anything he can to, to score, to make plays. He's, he's amazing. I really I love his work ethic. My God, that guy, that guy works. That guy works every single shift. If you want to talk about like a – true lunch pail style Bruin, Ryan Fitzgerald's written all over that. Absolutely amazing. Um, this past weekend, I, he just loves to score against Springfield too, it seems, because he lit them up. It was amazing. Yeah, I mean, the, the freaking Providence Bruins played the Springfield Falcons like 80 times a season. Oh, yeah, I know. Them and the Bridgeport Sound Tigers, it seems like I'm always watching them. You know what? Let's transition into that conversation real quick. What? I I just I get the whole travel and expense. I really do. But is Hershey, is Lehigh Valley, is Utica, is Albany really that much further away that you can't give these guys a little more games? Oh, I know. I really want to see them play certain teams a little bit more. But, yeah, it seems like we're stuck with, like you said, <laughs> Bridgeport, Springfield. Hartford all the time and it's kind of annoying but I mean it, it is what it is the way that they that they do the schedule is really that much different from the NHL which is unfortunate but um, unfortunately it is what it is yeah. yeah it does seem like they play certain teams over and over and over again and I wish I wish we got a bit more variety and honestly that would be better for the players too because if they're forced to play against different systems different coaching styles that makes them more of a versatile player. So I guess it, it's, it's be- it would be better for the players and better for the fans to be able to see a different variety of teams. Well, l- listen to this. I'll give you a little knowledge from a, a scout that I talked to, and I'm, I'm going to leave his name out of it because um, I don't have permission <laughs> to use it. So <laughs> um, this certain individual told me that one of the reasons why they keep everything compressed in the schedule and close by is to keep the players practicing. So that's how you properly develop a player is, is you keep them practicing on a daily basis, kind of, sort of. You might have sure. one day a week off, but the rest of the time uh, you're, you're skating or playing. So um, 
with increased travel obviously means less time for practicing and schedule yep. practices. So it kind of makes sense to me. It does. But um, I, I just, I, I would like to see a little more, like you, you said, a little more you variety. Want. You know what I mean? Yeah. The fan and you want to see more teams. I, yeah. I'm the same way. Somebody else told me and I'm going to use, I'm going to leave his name out of it. Cause uh, it's kind of a confidence thing as well. Um, that when the, uh, when they're not skating or, practicing they're generally up in boston actually watching the bruins play themselves so i can understand where they're coming from that you generally want to keep your prospects as close by and practicing every day as possible so yeah that that makes sense how has jeremy lawson looked to you uh after coming back from an up and upper body injury which is later determined as a concussion yeah i'm I, I i don't even remember seeing that honestly i remember watching the game against i believe it was the binghamton devils where he got injured and i don't remember that at all which is surprising because uh, yeah he was out for what was that 22 29 games some, somewhere in there and it took him a little while to get his positioning back but one thing i was very impressed to see was that his skating was it took no hits at all so he must have been practicing that um, in a non-contact jersey or something to that effect because that and his stick work looked like he hadn't missed a step. But, yeah, he was definitely a little bit rusty in so much of that positioning, knowing where to be on the ice, maybe a, an errant pass here or there. But, fortunately, that did not set him back. And that's something that I like about Lozon is that his trajectory is – pretty steep in a good direction is that in, in that if you look at like learning curves, some are steeper than others. His learning curve is quite steep and it's, it's nice. It's really nice to see because he's got that aggressive defensive style. So it was good to see that he wasn't being gun shy either where maybe after coming back from a concussion, you're a little bit hesitant on the ice. He showed none of that. Like I said, it's one of the things that I'd noticed is that he was maybe a little bit out of position at times, but good. I'm, I'm very high on Jeremy Lozon. If you talk to me just kind of casually, you know that I, I absolutely love this kid. He's got such a aggressive, gritty style of defense and he's got a, he's got good stick work too. He knows where to put his angle, put his stick to deflect pucks into low danger areas. So it was good to see that he really didn't miss a step all that much. All right, now here's here's a here's a tough one for you, or I think it's going to be a tough one because it is for me. And um, is the players that the, we have right now and the veterans. I mean, I'm I'm talking about Kenny Agostino. I'm talking about Tommy Cross, Hargrove, um, Justin Hickman, and Josh Hennessy, um, Colby Cave. Where do you do you see? Uh, some of these guys sticking around. I mean, I'm not a huge Tommy Cross fan. I never really hey. have been. I mean, he's the captain. He's got leadership. He's got he's got uh, history with Cassidy and Sweeney and all these guys. And I I get the you know the whole leadership thing. But when you think about Ryan Lindgren, you when you think about Trent Frederick, you think about Cameron Hughes, you think about. Um, a lot of other players that are that are in college that could go pro sometime after this after the NCAA hockey season, you know, room has to be made for the younger crowd. You have to keep replenishing this stock. Um, in my honest opinion, 
uh, the way Don Sweeney has done things has not been all, always the greatest thing in my eyes. But when it comes down to prospects, uh, the sustainability of having uh, youth uh, involved and, and, and ready at a, at a moment's notice has been nothing but impressive to me. And with these guys coming in and knocking on the door of first year professional hockey, uh, there's con- I mean, there's casualties that have to happen. And I see, I do see a player like Tommy Cross not not coming back. I do see a player like Jordan Swartz probably sticking around a little bit because he's leading the team with uh, 15 goals. And also Austin Zarnick. I like to see Austin Zarnick up at the NHL level, but his size just seems to be. Uh, the knock on him. So w- w- would he sign another year uh, to stay in Providence and in the loop? Who knows? But uh, l- I'd love to hear your thoughts on who could be staying and who could be going. I definitely think Austin Zarnick could make the jump to the NHL next year. It really depends on the trajectory of Jakob Forsbacher Carlson. I think the two of them are going to be competing for the 3C spot next year up on Boston because I think Riley Nash is playing himself out of a roster spot in Boston to echo uh, something that I heard on your podcast, actually, is that the better that he does, the bigger contract he's going to command at the end of this year. And he's going to be looking to set himself up with basically a retirement fund. So with that being said, the three C spots can be open. I don't know as if Tim Schaller will be back. I'm not, 100% 100% sure about Corelli, Achari. I'm not sure what that line's going to look like. So there's definitely going to be spots available for players like Zarnik and Austin, uh, excuse me, Jakob Forsbacher Carlson to make their uh, debut on the Bruins lineup. I think what Don Sweeney did when he signed Austin Zarnik was that he was looking for a Tyler Johnson light because Tyler Johnson Great is, comparison. Actually, is actually 5'8. Austin Zarnick is listed at 5'9", yep. and now how how uh, accurate those numbers are, it's up to interpretation, but they're basically in the same mold. And what we've seen is that Tyler Johnson, there was something kind of special about him, and to the point where he ripped up the AHL. He absolutely ripped up the AHL. I think he was uh, uh, the leading scorer on both the Norfolk Admirals when they were affiliated, and then later... Uh, the current affiliate, the Syracuse Crunch. So Sweeney probably, or I should say, actually, Shirelli was the one who signed Austin Zarnick. He signed him at or about the same time as he did uh, Frank Vetrano. And I think they were looking for basically the same kind of speedy, small guy who went undrafted, maybe with a lot of untapped potential. And the problem with Zarnick is that Tyler Johnson, when he made his debut on the Lightning, he was surrounded by Marty St. Louis. Uh, Andre Pilat was having a great season. Um, Kucherov was such damn coat. Naturally, he got his uh, his his um, his debut because Stamkos was injured. So that allowed Johnson to get up into the top two lines almost immediately, and he was surrounded, like I said, by St. Louis and all of them who probably helped his development more than anybody else because he was allowed to play with that sort of creativity and poise. And he had so many weapons around him that it actually almost made him look better. And then he just kind of kept going along with it. And he's had quite the, uh, quite the rise to power in the Tampa Bay lightning system. So I think Austin Zarnick is 
in that kind of similar mold. Now he hasn't had exactly the opportunity that Johnson has because we have David Krejci, we have Patrice Bergeron. When those two are healthy, there is nobody I'd rather have taking face-offs because the two of those guys are bona fide, legitimate number one, number two centers in anybody's system. They have great face-off numbers. Austin Zarnick's face-off numbers are actually pretty good for a kid, so he can do it. I'd just like to see a better supporting cast around him because he hasn't. He he was given, I think, Frank Vetrano on kind of a downswing last year. He was given. Jimmy Hayes, he was given really kind of mucky grinder, not exactly top quality offensive material to work with last year. And I think that's why his numbers aren't exactly what we'd want them to be for like a 3C. But I think Austin Zarnick is going to get another shot, whether it's in Boston or Providence. That's kind of up to him to decide because Mark, I mean, I can see him. I can see him doing it, but I can also see him kind of wilting too, depending on who they put around him. So I really hope that they give him every opportunity to succeed. As for the AHL squad, I could really see uh, Jordan Swartz coming back. I I like his game. He's 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 got it. He's an absolutely dynamic talent at the AHL level, and for a guy who can lead like he has in points and goals and everything that you need to succeed. I think he could be back. I think he, honestly, he should deserve the C. He's just got such a poise on the ice that it's it's amazing. I mean, sometimes you'll see Cross unfortunately misplay the puck, and you, the the dent on my forehead's getting rather large from the time that uh, Tommy Cross unfortunately misplays the puck. But I could see, I can kind of see him coming back. It really, it really depends on who makes the jump, like you said, from the NCAA levels, because we know that Donato is probably going to start pushing his way into the professional uh, into the professional leagues. Like you say, Hughes, um, Wiley Sherman, or possibly Trent Frederick. It really depends. But yeah, I definitely see um, possibly Tim Scheller leaving and, possibly, and more than likely Riley Nash leaving. And for a hot take, possibly even Ryan Spooner leaving. I think they're all playing themselves out of contracts with the Bruins. And I see spots opening up for players like Ryan Fitzgerald and Forsbacher Carlson and Austin Zarnick to be able to move up into the big club. Yeah, JFK's game is uh has been impressive. Um he's got twenty nine points in fifty two games. Um that's not a knock on him at all in his development. I think he's he could easily slot into the position on the half wall just like Ryan Spooner. Kind of oh, that I'm... kind of that Mark Savard kind of style play. Um, and that, Great, and that, and that 200 foot two way game of Patrice Bergeron, he's been so much, um, you know, oh, I'm trying to figure the word compared, compared, compared to? to, yeah, that's it. What an easy word compared. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So he's been compared to like, like one of the best, uh, two way forwards in, in all time, in my opinion. Um, that's not a bad comparison to have. Not at all. Not at all. And <laughs> You know, it's going to be good to see him. I mean, as much as I know you're a fan of the the Black and Gold Hockey podcast, and I know you you've listened to it a while, I'm I'm a huge fan of rolling four lines of depth. I don't, I'm not a fan of the three line and the one grinder role. Absolutely. You know, I think the NHL is is moving in a different direction with offense, and and you know, 
you could definitely see a lot of teams doing it because the goals are up this year and they were complaining that the goals were down last year. And then all of a sudden, you know, now we got to make changes to the goals and now we got to make changes to the goalie equipment. We need more offense. Well, that's how you create, you create more offense by adding more offensive players. you know, if you run four, four lines, look at teams like Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh can do that. Look at teams mm-hmm. like Chicago. Chicago has done that. L.A. I mean, it, it's just, I think the Bruins, if, if if you keep going with the big, bad Bruins mentality, I think that you're going to be sniffing the asses of a lot of the teams in the NHL right now because <laughs> you're, not, you're not willing to change. You are sticking with a certain motto that has been around since 1924 when the NHL came to Boston. You've yep. been a, known as a defensive team for a the franchise's existence. It's just time to change. And I think that it's happening now with all these draft picks that they got in 2015 that are knocking on the door or already past the threshold and in the lineup, it's just going to get better. And and I think, so, I mean, I'm looking forward to it. So I think that's what's allowing players like Austin Zarnick and Tyler Johnson to revisit those two names to be in this league. Like, up until now, you like you said, you had kind of a, a more of a bruiser team. You had like three lines and the, and a fourth checking line. I think that that the space on the ice now is allowing these creative, more offensive players to do their thing. It's it's kind of like European hockey in a small sense, but not entirely yet. We've still retained certain elements of the game that's made it North American, but it's definitely coming into a slightly more European model. Yeah, you know, I, I when I uh, when the Manchester Monarchs came to New Hampshire in two thousand one, mm-hmm. I was really excited because I didn't have the opportunity to travel down to because uh, I, I live in Amesbury, Massachusetts, so I'm up I'm up on the bo- uh, Mass border and uh, New Hampshire border mm-hmm. uh, in the northeast part of the state. So you're practically uh, kicking your answer. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I could pretty much piss uh, over the line. So, um, <laughs> but the thing with my travel is, is that North Station break to South Station break. There's no train that goes all the way through. So I just mm-hmm. Providence is is tough for me to get to. So, um, New Hampshire and uh, and and Manchester is only 40 minutes away. So I kind of I, I got season tickets there and, and watched the Providence Bruins 12 times. But when you talk about smaller players, um, and, and 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 you know when I, in my conversation about the Manchester Monarchs, I think Austin Zarnick is more or less like a player like Brandon Cozen and and Jordan Wheel, those types of players that. Very good uh, analogy. Yeah, you know, I mean, they have they have. They don't have great size, but they're so fast and so skillful. And, mm-hmm. and, and just because they're 5'8 and 5'9 is a knock on them that they're not going to be great NHL players. And like you they touched on... into a small package. Right. And like you touched on just a little while ago that the NHL is now transitioning into pretty much an everybody can play kind of league, no matter what size you are. Mm-hmm. That is what depth means. You can insert players like that anywhere in the lineup, whether it be a fourth line role or a first line role. So I like the way the direction's going, and 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 the Bruins are finally buying into it. Exactly. Yeah, you don't need. You do, but you don't need bruisers. You need bruisers that have that are a bit more multi-dimensional. You can't have a boxer on skates anymore, like uh, 
Preach, and, brother. Preach. Yeah, you can't have a, a, a Tom Sestito anymore. You can't have a Jared Tenorti anymore. Right. You need a guy that's got better hands for scoring than they are for fighting. And I thought that was Matt Bolesky when they got him out of Anaheim, but obviously I was way yeah, wrong oh, on that. Uh, his numbers were grossly inflated by Ryan Getzlaff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and the contract year. And unfortunately, he couldn't then translate that to the Bruins system to get back to uh, Tyler Johnson. Like, Tyler Johnson could use his opportunity to – it wasn't just him playing with Marty St. Louis. It was him using Marty St. Louis as a conduit. Matt Bolesky hasn't been able to do the same thing in Boston, and that's unfortunately why he's in Providence right now. Well – Let's um let's wind down here. We've been talking, geez, almost forty five minutes, and it's it's flown by so fast. Yeah, uh, but very enjo- very enjoyable, and thank you so much. Absolutely, um, much. I really appreciate it. Um, let's talk about Calder Cup. Um, the the Providence Bruins right now, like I said earlier, they sit in the third place in the Atlantic Division, fifth in the Eastern Conference. They have a uh, thirty seventeen three and two record with sixty five points after fifty two games. And they are currently uh, 6-3, 0-1-1 in the last 10. Um, if, last they keep th- trending, if they keep trending the way that they have, I think they're going to make second place because for whatever reason, Wilkes Ferris Granton has kind of regressed a little bit. They've been, also, they've been another one of those teams that's been uh, kind of up and down lately. So I think Lehigh Valley might be a spot, uh, might be a lock for uh, the top spot, uh, followed by... Providence or Wilkes-Barre, depending on who can find their consistency first, and then obviously the the followed by whoever doesn't make that cut, and then you'll have the wild card team. Yeah, I, the nice thing I, is that uh, Providence is actually closer to Wilkes-Barre than Charlotte, who's below Providence, is to Providence. So that being said, I think it would be easier for Providence to leapfrog Wilkes-Barre than it would be for Charlotte to leapfrog Providence, but we'll see what happens. Uh, the I'm just what I really want to know is is do you think this team is strong enough for to make it to the Call of the Cup finals like they almost did last season? I mean, they got through the first, second, and third, the first and second rounds. Not, and then they met up with Syracuse. And they met up with Syracuse, and they only got one win out of a seven-game series. Do you think that they have the, the pieces right now to make that long run and, and, and get into the Call of the Cup finals that they haven't seen since 99-2000, I believe, or it was 98-99? At the beginning of the season, I would absolutely have said yes, 100%. But I don't know if it's their, if this is their year, to be honest. I think they're a piece or two away. They're not as close as Boston would be to a Stanley Cup. So I would be pleasantly surprised, but I'm not 100% convinced that they're going to go super deep in the playoffs. They're probably going to make a round two. If they make it to the Eastern Conference Finals, I'll be pleasantly surprised. I think that's their ceiling right now, but uh, I'm, I'm not convinced they can go all the way. We've seen too many times they just, it's like they stop skating. They just stop skating and are like, okay, this is this is fine. When it comes, 
like you mentioned the Stanley Cup, and it just brought me up to a conversation I had with uh, with uh, LA Kings um, uh, staff members and, and and general manager Luke Robitaille and Hubie McDonough. Um, I mentioned you know a call the cup and and what it means to a team and and it was funny that both of them said that we're, the business that we're in is not about call the cups it's about Stanley cups so mm-hmm. exactly. what, you, what what you do is you structure everything from the NHL down to the East Coast Hockey League as you're going to win a Stanley Cup at the NHL level that's the goal we do, they don't structure teams around call the cup success they it, exactly. this is the business of development so we need to develop our players as best as their ability and make them ready for the NHL to, to you know, to compete uh, for, for a championship run uh, on a daily, on a yearly basis. So it, it, it's tough for me to get frustrated when I see this team fail in the playoffs because I, I know the conversations that I've had with, with certain people that are, that are the higher ups. And um, so I mean, it, it'd be great for Providence. It's been a long time since they've seen the championship and, and even getting to that final round. So, I mean, it'll be good for the, for the team and the, um, and the, uh, uh, the uh, community. I mean, I love going down there. I think that the, the city has, has really woken up to uh, the acceptance of, of outsiders and so on. It really cleaned it up a little bit. Uh, that, that like I said, like we talked about earlier, the Dunkin' Donuts Center is is a great facility, and I highly recommend you bring your families there to go because it's cheap and it's fun. Um, exactly. And not only that, support the the local economy. I mean, I go yeah. down, I go down there, and my go to spot is a Trinity Brew House. I go there, and I, I have, more, I have no, a, I'm more um, um, what is that? Uh, is a Irish pub that Murphy's, I believe, is it is, and it's a great spot for like a Reuben pregame or. Oh, a, I was just about to say drink. that. I, I go yep. to the Trinity Brewhouse and have a Reuben and a Rhode Island IPA. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, I'm, I'm going to have to try this Murphy's now. If I do, um, actually, now that I have you on, if I do my beers and Bruins uh, show, could you? Do you know anybody at Murphy's? Um. I mean, I know a lot of I, I know a, a bunch of people who go pretty consistently with me. I mean, we we happily do a show with you. Yeah, I mean, I I am getting accessibility to have up to three guests plus myself. So I'm getting a new mixing board and and a couple more mics, and I'm gonna make the this whole studio go mobile. So uh, I'm calling it I'm calling it beers and brewing. So it's just a nice yeah, two hour conversation. I could definitely think of uh, at least two or three people who would be interested in something like that, myself included. Awesome. That sounds great. All right. Uh, we've been talking to Josh, and Josh writes for the shipping up to causeway.com. You can find him on Twitter, at 2Causeway. Josh, thank you so much for the time today, and I definitely want to make plans to have you back on uh, soon to talk about uh, some baby bees. Absolutely, Mike. Thanks so much for the opportunity. This was a great Great time. Appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you very much for listening, everybody. Please subscribe to Apple iTunes, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, iHeartRadio, any podcast catcher you can find. Please buy our shit. We have merchandise. Please go to bngshop.bigcartel.com and grab yourself a t-shirt, some stickers, maybe a sweatshirt in the future. Who knows? You guys are all at 10. 
but you'd be an 11 if you bought our stuff. Thank you so much, everybody, and have a great week. Thanks for tuning in to this week's show. You can follow the guys on Twitter at blackandgold277, at Court Lalonde, and at Rob40Bruins. You can also send us an email to the show's account at blackandgoldhockeyblog at gmail.com.